0: Today we're returning to the book of Philippians. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in our study. We've been going through the book of Philippians, and I'm going to talk to you today about the joy of humility. How many of you enjoy being humble? How many like it when you get humbled? Yeah, that's, that's hard to raise your hand, isn't it? It's not like you wake up in the morning and you decide, well, today I'm going to be humble, Right? I don't call up Pastor Bruce or Ron and I say, hey, man, you want to be humble today? Why don't we be humble today? It just doesn't happen that way. I wish it did sometimes, but it doesn't. Being humble takes work. It takes effort. It takes commitment. And our flesh doesn't like it. Because our flesh is selfish. And the opposite of humility is pride. Now, I want you to listen to me. I want you to understand how serious this is. I believe all sin starts as an issue of pride. It might sound like this. I know best. I'm right. You're wrong. I want it my way. I don't need anyone else. I'm better than him. I can do that better than her. I deserve this. I'm not listening to you. It's all about me. Pride is a killer. It kills your ability to see. It kills your ability to hear. And it always has an answer. It will often cause you to act before you think. Pride will dominate anything and anyone. And it will ruin your life if unchecked. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says that pride comes before being destroyed and a proud spirit comes before a fall. Now, this is a warning to us. Pride leads to destruction. It will leave you empty and it will steal your joy. I want to show you today that there is more joy in humility than in anything else because when you're humble, you are the most like Jesus Christ. Humility is the defining characteristic of a true follower of Jesus. Then why is it so hard to be humble? You might be thinking. Human nature desires to be right. In general, we like to get the last word and we don't like to admit it when we're wrong, do we? But when you're humble, the focus isn't on being right. The focus is on being righteous. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. Humility is not about being right. It's about being righteous. So when we're in the wrong, humility will cause us to say, my bad. I'm sorry. Humility will listen versus being defensive. Humility will forgive when we're wronged. Humility understands that the world doesn't revolve around you. Humility puts the needs of others above your own. I love how Pastor Rick Warren puts it. He says this. He says, Humility doesn't mean thinking of yourself less It means thinking of others and God more. And this makes perfect sense because that's exactly the essence of what God demands of us. All of his commands can be summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love others as yourself. That's it. We don't have to overcomplicate it when it comes to God's commands. Love God, love people. It takes humility to do that. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'd be with each and every one of us here today. Father, that you would remove any distraction, any spirit of pride that may try to, to pop up and say, No, I don't do that. No, I don't need that. Lord, just speak to us. We invite you into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to our main text for today. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, that's cool too. We'll have it up on the screen and we'll go through it together. But the Apostle Paul, he wrote the book of Philippians as a letter to the people of Philippi. He did this in about 61 A.D. Now, this letter is often called Paul's joy letter. And ironically, Paul wrote this while he was in a Roman prison. That's crazy. And it's awesome at the same time because think about all the things that you could have heard about if someone was in prison, right? They could talk to you about how bad it is in there, how terrible the food is, or how horrible uh, the people are in there, right? But that's not what Paul does. When you study the life of Paul, you'll find that no matter the circumstances, Paul could always find joy. You don't know why? Because his life was rooted in knowing and obeying Jesus Christ. Pastor Bruce spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about the joy of true unity. Now, I don't have time to rehash that message today, but let me tell you, if you missed it, you need to go back and hear it or you need to go back and watch it. It's one of the most powerful and relevant messages of our day. Really, I'm that serious about it. So if that's your homework, okay? If you haven't seen or watched that message, maybe you have, maybe you need to go back and watch it again. It is that good, I'm telling you. www.crosspointmt.com. That's the info commercial for today. Go there, and you can listen to it or watch it. Now, this world needs unity now more than ever. More than ever. You look around and you see a world characterized by division. There's pro-life versus pro-choice. That debate continues to tear this nation apart as millions of innocent babies are slaughtered every single year. Politics seems to always center around vilifying the other side. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or you're, or you're a Republican. They vilify one another. Just turn on the TV and you'll see it. They spew all kinds of stuff at one another. It's frustrating. And then you have a mainstream media that is extremely biased, and they seem to always have an agenda that divides rather than unites. Child sex trafficking continues to be one of the most fastest-growing criminal industries in the world. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. That's billion with a B, as in barf. Seriously. And yet we don't hear that much about it. We hear all about the issues of the day, like arguing over brand names of Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and the Washington Redskins. Are you kidding me? They've had that name for 86 years. Mrs. Butterworth, those issues are more important than child sex trafficking What is wrong with our country? Much of our division problem is rooted in selfishness. And selfishness is the enemy of unity. If you've got your hand out with you, that's the very first blank there. Selfishness. It is the enemy of unity. And it's unfortunate, but that's the world that we live in. We need unity through humility. That's what we need. Unity through humility. Now, this is exactly what Paul is going to tell us here in our text. So we're going to pick up here in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start here in verse 3. All right, this is Paul. He says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at that name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. This is an incredibly powerful and rich text. We're going to break this down together, and I'm going to share with you four actions that we must be prepared to take if we are to experience the joy of humility. I can't guarantee that you're going to like what you hear today. It's probably going to sting a little bit. I'm just warning you, but I'm not here to sugarcoat things. I'm here to speak the truth. The Apostle Paul first introduces us to the principle that we must live by in verses three through five. Okay, so here's the principle. He says, do nothing from selfishness. Another translation says selfish ambition or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The principle is this. No selfishness, no conceit, and have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, which was humility, where you put others above yourself. So in the verse right before our text... Right before Paul starts talking about this, this is in verse 2. I'm not going to show this because this is what Pastor Bruce spoke about two weeks ago. Okay? But in that verse, Paul says that we are to agree wholeheartedly. We are to love one another and we are to work together with one mind and one purpose. That's verse 2 where Paul defines the definition of true unity. And then what does he do immediately after that? That's what we see here in verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition Or empty conceit. Selfish ambition is when we are self seeking. It's when we elevate ourselves above other people. Selfish ambition is the result of living according to our flesh. It's when we follow our sinful nature. Now, Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. So if you turn two books to the left, you can pick up in Galatians chapter 5. And what happens here is Paul describes this battle that we face. It's the constant battle that we face between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. These two are always in conflict with one another. And so here's what Paul says, looking at verses 19 through 21. He says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. There it is, right in the middle. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty stern warning, don't you think? That's why Paul says do nothing from selfish ambition. And then in James chapter 3, we have a similar warning. Okay, If you turn back to your right, almost to the end of the Bible there, you can pick up in James chapter 3... In verses 14 through 16, here's what James says. He says, But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. So selfish ambition is when we are selfish and when we're self-seeking. It's one of the many evils that result when we follow our sinful nature, our flesh. And when you combine that with envy, you take selfish ambition and envy and you put them together. That's a dangerous recipe because what does the word say? It says it's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Pretty strong words. And there will be disorder and evil of every kind. No wonder Paul tells us in our text to do nothing from selfish ambition. Now, let's look what else he says in verse 3. What else besides selfish ambition? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Right? So so um, selfish ambition is self-seeking. Empty conceit is praise-seeking. That's when we do things to get attention. It's when we seek our own glory. It's when we try to impress others. We become people pleasers. So the bottom line here in verse 3 is that Paul is telling us to get the focus off ourselves. And then in the end of verse 3, he says we are to value others as more important than us. Verse 4, value others' interests more than our own. And that can only come through humility. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ, is humility. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 5. Have this attitude. What is this attitude? Well, this attitude is exactly what Paul said in the end of verse 3. Humility of mind, where you put others above you. So, Paul just gave us the principle to live by. That's the principle. No selfish ambition, no empty conceit, and we are to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. That's the principle. Now, Paul is going to talk to us about the picture by showing us how Jesus lived this out. That's the picture. That's what we're going to see in the coming verses. Now, Jesus is our perfect example. We are to pattern our lives after him. That's God's will for us, is to become like Jesus. You can see this in verses 6 and 7. We talked about verse 5. He says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, another translation would say he gave up his divine privileges. So, the first thing that we see here in the picture that Paul is talking to us about is that Jesus emptied himself and he gave up his divine privileges, which leads us to the first action that we must be prepared to take if we are to experience the joy of humility. And that is sacrifice. Are you prepared to sacrifice? Jesus gave up his divine privileges, he left heaven, and he came down into this world. And he was born as a man. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his very life so that we might live. It was his death on the cross that paid our debt in full for our sins. Now, sacrifice is the epitome of Christian life. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? If it's anything short of sacrificing your entire life, then I'm here to tell you it's not enough. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to just hold on to everything you already have, reap all the benefits of being a Christian, and then live a peaceful, quiet, and easy life. No, the invitation to follow Jesus is really an invitation to come and die. It's an invitation to die to ourselves and to live for him completely. Sold out, all in, no matter what. Good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. And Paul captures this idea of dying to self in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when I make the commitment to follow Jesus, Paul says, when I accept the invitation given by his grace through my faith, I die. I no longer live. I no longer live for myself because Jesus is now living on the inside of me. Everything now points to him. This dying to self-concept, this is not a one-time event. This is a daily sacrifice. It is a daily choice that we make. And we can't do it without humility. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice. You can see this here. Paul says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. What has he done for you? Well, he only gave up his divine privileges, right? He came down to this heaven, was, or came down from heaven, was born as a man, and he died for your sins. That's what he's done for you. So our response should be, we let our bodies be a living and holy what? Sacrifice, the kind that he would find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. You ever wonder how to worship the Lord God Almighty? There it is. Offer your body as a living and holy sacrifice. And then look, Paul says this in in verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ever want to know what God's will is for you? Who's ever had that question? I have that question off. Come on, there's more people than just me. There we go, there we go. I have that question a lot, but there it is. You want to know how to know it? You let him transform you. Then you're going to know the, his will for you. That's how you do it. It takes humility, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It takes humility. He will change the way you think. There's a transformation that happens when you come to experience the love of God, when you finally give your, yourself to him. We have to sacrifice our very lives for Him. We worship Him by living, and our, by, our, by offering our bodies a living and holy sacrifice every day. And when we do, He will transform us. That's a promise, and that's a promise worth sacrificing for. So the first action that we must be prepared to take to experience the joy of humility is to sacrifice. The second, the second action is to serve. Are you prepared to serve? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. We've talked about 3 through 6. We're going to jump into 7. It says taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So what is a bondservant? Some translations will substitute the word slave or servant. The word bondservant though, it comes from the Greek word doulos which is a broad term that has a wide range of usage. But the simplest way to describe a bondservant is that it's someone who voluntarily chooses to serve his master till death, no matter what. So to say it another way, a bondservant is a servant by choice, not by obligation. Jesus emptied himself. He gave up his divine privileges. He left his place in heaven. He took the form of a bondservant by becoming a man. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. And he did this by choice because of his great love for you. For you. When you read through the New Testament and you study the life of Jesus, you will find that he poured out his life day after day. He healed the sick. He taught those who wanted to learn. He encouraged the brokenhearted. He confronted evil. He met every need. Every need. And in Mark chapter 10, he tells us why he came into the world. Here it is. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what we just sang about. He gave his life as a ransom for many, right? He came to serve, not to be served. And this should be our chief aim in life, serving others. Are you prepared to serve? Are you prepared to serve? I want you to imagine that you're one of Jesus' disciples. Okay, we're going to go through this exercise together, all right? You ready? I want you to imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples. It's about 2,000 years ago. You've been walking with Jesus for about three years. You've seen him experience and, and do some amazing, crazy, ridiculous miracles of healing, right? You've been there. You've seen it firsthand, okay? And now we're on the last night before his crucifixion. Okay, we're about to experience the Last Supper with Jesus. Okay, that's what we just celebrated through communion, right? Okay, are you with me? Can you visualize yourself there with Jesus? He's been telling you that this day would come now and you're about to share your last meal with him. It's the night before your master, your Lord, the Messiah that you have waited your whole life for is about to be crucified and die a brutal death on the cross. And what does he do? What does he do? He gets up from the table. He takes off his robe. He puts a towel around his waist and he takes water and he pours it in a basin into a bowl. And then he does the unthinkable. He kneels down and he starts to wash your feet. Can you see that? Are you there? Can you picture this? He's washing your feet. And then he does this for every single disciple in the room. Then he puts on his robe again. And he sits down and he asks this. This comes from John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. He says, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master." nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Wouldn't that have blown your mind? Jesus washing your feet and then telling you to do the same for others. He just took the lowliest position possible and he washed your dirty feet. Wouldn't you be shocked at this amazing display of humility? I mean, here's the king of the world, and he just humbled himself to prove a point. Serve others and lay down your life for other people. I have just given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You know, this was a foreshadowing of the ultimate act of love and humility possible that he would go through next. His gruesome death on a cross. Are you prepared to serve? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. Serve others. Value them and love them more than yourself. That's the life that we must live. Now, let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Why does the church? Now, I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about, I'm about to fall over this thing here. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the whole church, not just crosspoint, all of them. And those people who profess to be Christians, I'm including them as well. Why is it that when you look at the church, we have far too many consumers and not enough contributors. We have far too many people who come to church and they're all about what's in it for me. What benefits do I get? What's in it for my family? What's in it for my kids? Shouldn't we as Christ followers stop thinking about what's in it for me and start thinking about what can I do for the church? I mean, right? Here I am, Lord, use me. Shouldn't that be the attitude of our heart? I want to encourage you to get involved. Think about how much you're consuming versus how much you're contributing. Jesus gave his life for the church. Are you willing to do that? To experience the joy of humility, we have to sacrifice. We have to serve. And the third action that we must take is to submit. Are you prepared to submit? Now, wives, I'm not just going to be talking to you right now. Although I could, there's a biblical precedence for it, isn't there? Now, if I did... If I spent the time to direct it straight to you wives, then I would have to balance that teaching out with the kind of love that us husbands are supposed to provide our wives, right? Which is the same kind of love that Jesus gave the church. He laid down his life for her. But that's a different sermon for a different day. So ladies, you can breathe easy. Okay? I'm not just going to be talking to you. So let's jump back into our text. Here in Philippians, we're going to look at verse 8. We just covered verse 7. We're going to jump into verse 8. It says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Here we see Jesus humbling himself through obedience. Submitting your will through obedience is the foundation on which humility is built. We are to submit everything to the Lord. That means we have to let go of our will, our desires, and our agenda. We have to stop trying to get our own way all the time. We have to stop trying to do things on our own. To submit is to deny ourselves out of love for God and for others. That's the true definition of submit here. We deny ourselves out of love for God and for others. To submit is one of the most difficult things to do, isn't it? Yeah. Because our self wants to get in the way. Now, I love how Charles Spurgeon captures uh, why it's so hard to submit. I'm going to share a quote from him. I uh, I have done that before on Charles Spurgeon. He's considered the prince of preachers. 200 years ago or so, he preached this. He said, "...a lack of submission is no new or rare fault in mankind." Ever since the fall, it has been the root of all sin. From the moment when our mother Eve stretched out her hand to pluck the forbidden fruit and her husband joined her in setting up the human will against the divine, sons of men have universally been guilty of a lack of conformity to the will of God. They choose their own way and will not submit their wills. They think their own thoughts and will not submit their understanding. They love earthly things and will not submit their affections. Man wants to be his own law and his own master. That's pretty good, isn't it? But for a child of God, submitting is not a recommendation. It's an absolute must. Jesus willingly put himself under the authority of God the Father. And we are to do the same thing. We submit our lives to God and we follow him through obedience. To submit is not an act of human will. I can't just say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay? It's a God thing. We can only submit through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus gives us the power to follow him through the Holy Spirit. That's how we can submit. So to experience the joy of humility, we have to sacrifice. We have to serve. We have to submit. And the last action that we must take is we have to be prepared to suffer. How many of you want to suffer? (laughs) Not very many hands, is there? I don't want to suffer. (laughs) I don't know about you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. But as a child of God, we have to be prepared to suffer. Now, this is the part of the message where you might be saying, nope, that's not for me. (laughs) No, I didn't follow Jesus to come and suffer. You might be saying, wait, that's not what I signed up for. I don't know why so many of us have thought that living the Christian life should be easy. I don't know where that comes from. Because let me tell you something. That is a lie. It's not easy. Who can say that? Anybody agree with me? Living the Christian life is not easy. It's not. That's a falsehood. That once you give your life to Jesus, that everything should just work out. I mean, right? We think that. A lot of us think that. I believe in Him. I love Him. I sacrifice for Him. I serve Him. I'll even submit to Him. But to suffer? Come on, why should I suffer? This action to suffer is by no means easy. Sometimes we suffer because of our own decisions. Because of our own choices, right? Other times things happen to us or things happen to those we love. And we're like, why, Lord? Why? Why are they suffering? Why is there any suffering at all in the world? Well, I can't possibly provide a full and complete answer to that today. I just don't have time. I don't have time to go into that. But listen, we live in a fallen world. And there is suffering for both Christians and non-Christians. Following Jesus takes faith. And you have to trust in him that he holds your life in his hands and that his ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are not your thoughts. And he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's again look at our main text. We're going back to Philippians verse 8, chapter 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus suffered. He suffered a horrible, humiliating, and painful death on the cross. And he did nothing wrong. He had no sin. He lived a perfect life. By the way, earlier this month, Time out for just a second. Earlier this month, there was a prominent news anchor on a major mainstream media network that said this, quote, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Are you kidding me? Something in your spirit ought to rise up between you and say, no, that is wrong, okay? That is wrong. Now, we don't have to be a turd about it. Okay, we don't. You can humbly and gently come alongside someone and say, you know what? That is not right. And it is our responsibility to do that. Okay, it is. Each one of us have that responsibility to call out falsehood. You know what made this even worse? This guy. Then there was the other guy next to him. They're both on this network. And the one guy that said this, right? The other guy did nothing. He was just quiet. He didn't say a word. Like probably many of us would have done. Listen, you can't believe everything you see or hear on TV, right? You cannot do that. It's yet another reason why we can't go to the mainstream media for truth. Now, I'm digressing from my message because I just get really fired up about that. I don't like it when people are speaking untruth, especially about my Lord and Savior. Are you kidding me? I take that personally. Whew. Okay, so Jesus Christ, he was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. He suffered so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have eternal life. Suffering for the Christian is not something that may happen. It will happen. You're going to go through trials. You will be persecuted. That's a given. Are you prepared to suffer? Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Will. Not maybe. Not someday. Perhaps. Will. Then in James Uh, chapter 1, verse 12, James says that when troubles come your way, the issue is not if troubles come, it's when the troubles come. Are you prepared to suffer for them? So let's finish our text for today. Paul gave us the principle to live by, right? No self-seeking, no praise-seeking, and to have the humility that Jesus had by putting others ahead of ourselves. Paul then gives us the picture of Jesus living us out. And that's what we've been discussing. And now we come to verses 9 through 11. Hold on to your seats. Here it is. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, right there in the beginning of the text, it says, for this reason, what reason are we talking about? We're talking about what Jesus just did in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This reminds me of what Jesus says in Luke fourteen eleven. He says that those who exalt themselves will be what? Humble, right? And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. So in verse 8, you see Jesus doing what? Humbling himself. And then in verse 9, you see God exalting him. Woo! He gave him the name above every name. You should be excited right there. Because every knee will bow. Every knee. Right? Notice the inclusiveness there. Not some knees, not just Christians, right? Every knee will bow. And the the text goes on to say, right, those who are in heaven, that's every angel, and there are millions of them, everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, that's you and me, and everyone where? Under the earth. Who are we talking about there? Yeah, we're talking about Satan and all his minions. Did you know? Woo, I'm getting too excited. (laughs) Did you know that even Satan and all his minions are going to bow? And they will confess. Here's the deal you will either submit now willingly, or someday you may have to submit unwillingly. Either way, everyone will bow and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every leader that has ever lived, even Hitler himself, right? Every leader, every child molester, every criminal. Every rich man, every rich woman, everyone will bow and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're here today and you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life, today is that day, right? Joshua says, choose what? This day whom you will serve. Not next week. Not when I feel like it. This day, okay? Today. Is the day of salvation. We live, are living right now in the last days. Who's with me? Are you seeing this? What we're living through? There isn't much time left here on this earth. I want to encourage you that if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, don't leave here without making that decision. Please. I'm pleading with you. Don't. Others of you, you may be here and you just aren't sure. You just aren't sure. You may have answered the altar call at some time or another in your church. You may have raised your hand. You may have even walked down the aisle. You may have even said the sinner's prayer. But you've never really committed your life to truly following Jesus. Do you want to know that you know that you know Jesus? I mean, do you want to be sure? This is my favorite text in the entire Bible that I'm about to share with you right now. Do you want to be sure? Who wants to be sure? Okay, every hand ought to be up. You want to be sure? Here it is. And we can be sure. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Part of your homework, memorize that. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. We can be sure we know Him if we obey His commandments. What are His commandments? I said it in the very beginning of the message, right? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love who? Others as yourself, right? That's his commandments right there. Love God, love people. That pretty much sums it up. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our obedience is what demonstrates our love for him. Now, I didn't say our obedience is what earns our salvation, did I? Because if I said that, that would be heresy. And you ought to stand up and say, no, pastor, that's wrong, right? Our obedience is what demonstrates our love for him, because Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will obey me, right? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. Will you obey him? Will you obey him? The only way to do that is through humility, which is exactly the example that Jesus gave us. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus is the blueprint for your life. So to be like him and to experience the joy of humility, we have to be prepared to take the following actions. We we must sacrifice. We must serve. We must submit. And we must suffer. Paul gave us the principle of humility and then he gave us the picture of Jesus living it out. Will you live it out? Will you live it out? Let's pray. Father, you are the God of this universe. I am so thankful that we serve a mighty, compassionate, gracious, faithful God who will never leave us and will never forsake us. If you're here today, and this message touched your heart, and you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ, today is that day. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, because the Word says that no one can come to the Father except the Holy Spirit that draw him. If that Holy Spirit is drawing you today, and you want to say, yes, from this day forward, I am going to give my life to Jesus, if that's you, then slip up your hand, and I will pray for you. Anyone here, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else want to make that commitment today? Okay, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of living for me. I want to live for you. And I give my life to you right now. And I ask for forgiveness for my sins. And from this day forward, I will commit my life to you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. If you pray that prayer Welcome to the family of God. If you're here today and perhaps something in this message spoke to you and you know that you need to make some adjustments in your life, you realize that you have to be prepared to sacrifice. You've got to be prepared to serve, to submit, and to suffer. If something spoke to you, slip up your hand and let me know that something spoke to you today and you want to do something about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord God, I pray for all those who raise their hand. Jesus, that they want to take action for you because that's what our faith is about, right? We are to act on our faith. So, Lord God, give us the courage and the boldness to walk with conviction and to love others to come to you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.